Some of us come into here feeling grieved and others are relieved. Uh, some feel frustrated and others validated. Some are just glad they can pull their head out of the sand for a little while and be like, oh, no political ads. Just, just, you, wait, just you wait and see. Just you wait and see. I think we've got a few more months. Um, even for me personally, right, this week, I went from conversations with my mailman who is absolutely certain I was voting one way, right? And I was getting all the hey bros in that direction from my mailman into my very next meeting with another individual who was absolutely certain that because I was a pastor, clearly I was voting a different way. All these assumptions coming at, I realized like that's really draining to always live in this tension of everybody assuming something about you. I've heard statements like, and, and maybe you guys have, these are actually real ones that were either spoken to me or came through in my text threads. Uh, I'm not going to church this week. I'm not sure I can sit by people who voted for fill in the blank. I'm not saying these are good things to say. I'm saying these are the worlds we're living in, right? I'm not going to comment on the fact that you don't actually go to church. You are the church. That wasn't the, anyway. I've heard that if you voted for Trump, you're a racist. It's that simple. There's not really a need for further conversation. While at other times, hearing the exact line of, if you voted for Biden, then you must hate unborn babies. I've heard that the only way to deal uh, with the left is with a Gatlin gun, and I've also heard that the only way to deal with the right is just pray that they all die off. The rhetoric has been thrown around that you can't be a Christian and vote for Biden, or in the same way, you can't be a Christian and vote for Trump, and you can't be a Christian and vote for either candidate. But then I've also heard like amazing breakthroughs and realizations of people realizing that the gospel has political implications. And for the first time, seeing that their response in a public sphere actually matters because Jesus cares for things in the public sphere. That's been incredible to watch as people's eyes are open and they realize for the first time that the way that they can be involved in the society is through politics, that it matters. And this is a way that they can do justice and love mercy and care for others. And at the same time, this falls in the middle of our series on Kingdom Come. And we've been making the statement at the beginning that the kingdom doesn't just begin one day in the future, but according to Jesus, it's here right now, and that changes everything. And so, like, all of that swirling around, the emotions, the highs, the lows, the celebrations, uh, the funeral-like sobriety in some households, and then coming together in a diverse group of people. And I absolutely love what Jesus is doing in our church family, that we have people on all different sides of the spectrum, uh, politically, socioeconomically, even ethnically. Like, this is a beautiful thing. But with that comes tensions and the need to listen well and to pray often and to be kind. And so what I want us to do is not give you all the answers. I don't have all those. But I do want us to look at just two texts of Scripture, and then we're going to spend some time praying. And then take communion back at the table together and be sent out into our week. And so the first text of Scripture we're going to be at is in Romans 13. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up, Romans 13. Those of you that know the book of Romans are like, oh, dang, we're just going to jump into Romans 13 and get after the good old uh, texts that have been thrown around a lot with politics. We absolutely are, uh, but it might be different than the one you were planning on. We're going to start in Romans 13, and we're going to be in verse 8. Verse 8. 
It's true that the first part of this chapter, Paul's making the argument that people and how they should relate to government, but flowing immediately out of that argument, out of those thoughts, comes this interpersonal command that stands even supreme above the other because he's about to make a really, really bold claim. And so Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10 says this, Let no debt remain outside, outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments that you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Their love is the fulfillment of the law. Hearing those words coming out over a community that may be divided, a country that is certainly divided, uh, how do Christians act? How do we live? How do we respond? The answer uh, is love. That, that, that's the flinch. That's the, that's the transformation that takes place in a Christian's heart is that they're able to love not only their friends, but their enemies. Like that is what Jesus lays out in Matthew is that is one of the, the marks of a true follower of Jesus. Somebody that lives in his kingdom in the midst of an old world is the ability to love. For us tonight when we're saying, all right, what does it look like to love in this time then? I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. And this might be a text that you only read at weddings uh, or if you're in your Bible in a year plan and you happen to smack dab into it. Uh, some people chop it up for Valentine's Day. I'm going to say it's an absolutely appropriate response to the cultural moment that we're in. Is 1 Corinthians 13, asking the question, what does it look like for us to love? And I'm actually going to read it in the message, Eugene Peterson's translation of it, because uh, it puts it in a little bit different words. And so asking this question, just let this, this word of God, I'm not giving a lot of suggestions but let these words echo out over you because they're going to find very practical ways of wording. What exactly does that mean then if I'm supposed to love? Hear these words from Paul. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak with God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. I uh, hear this church, that those categories that just drop down are often ones that we can find our identity in. At least I boldly proclaim the truth. At least I had faith. At least I was able to make my argument known. What Paul's saying is that all those things don't matter if they're not fueled with love. If they're not motivated by love if they're not drawn out of the well of God loving you and then you loving others. Uh, he keeps going on with these descriptive words. He says, love never gives up. What does it look like for me to my love, my neighbor? Don't give up on him. Love cares for, more, for others more than yourself. What does it mean to love my neighbor? Care for them more than you do yourself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. 
Love doesn't stretch. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Even in political seasons, love doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sin of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasures in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. Trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Uh, Paul keeps going, love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant, just a baby, at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. But when I grew up, I let those infant ways go for good. Hear this, fam. None of us see things clearly. We're squinting into a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness comes, we have three things to do that lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God, love extravagantly, and hope unswervingly. And the best of these three is love. When you ask the question, how do we respond? What does it look like for a Jesus community? Whatever our answers are, they must start with love. That's the first flinch. What would be the most loving thing I can do in this moment? And that's not easy. I don't want to be simplistic. Paul just gave a whole ton of verses describing the different ways that love looks. But that's the invitation as the people of God to be people who love well. You're like, man, that's exhausting. How do we do that? I think we can only do it as we are fueled on by the spirit of the living God at work within us. Uh, Galatians would say that the first fruit of the spirit, right, is love. That's something God produces in us. It's not something we can just grab and throw onto our life. And so in a, in a week where we've received a whole lot of information, I'm not going to say much more other than to say I would love for us to spend the next five minutes circled back up in those groups that we were in and praying and asking Jesus to make these, us these kind of people. I know it seems easier if I just gave three nifty steps. I have uh, five stories that I wanted to share, but we went a little bit longer and I planned on another part. But, but here's the deal. If we're going to be men, women, and children, yes, across the board, Uh, Kids have the power to be both very kind and reflect the love of God and also be cruel and reflect probably the anger of their parents. Men, women, and children who together display the glory of God in a deeply divided world, uh, we're going to need the Spirit to actually empower us to do that. And so rather than me tell you more how to do that, we want to give them space to continue that work for us to cry out to Him as a people. And so would you just turn towards a few people around you and pray. Ask God that he would make us a community who endures in our faith, hope, and love for his glory, for our joy as humans, but then also for the good of our neighbor. And then I'll pull us together one more time and we'll go receive communion and then be sent out into the week. So would you pray 
together. So here's the deal. Uh, a few ways that I've witnessed and been very privy to you guys loving each other well, and I'm going to use no names during this storytelling, though you'll be able to tell who some of you are, um, just for the, you know, the interwebs. Um, but here's the deal. I, I've watched, and I, and I want to say this clearly for you that are gathered in this room, I've watched an unparalleled expression of unity and diversity in what's taken place around within this church. And so I've watched as people who are very different politically and even preference-wise have laid down some of those uh, strong-willed opinions to be able to listen to others. And there's something very beautiful in that. It looks like Jesus. Like I've, I've watched as people who have intentionally gathered around a table, literally, with people who have different viewpoints than them that they know in order to talk through that, not to avoid each other. I'm really glad that the text message I got saying, hey, I'm not going to show up on Sunday uh, because I don't want to be around people that I know voted differently was not present within here. And this isn't saying, like, thank God we're not like them. It's thank God that his grace is sinking into our hearts because we would be just as given to doing that sort of thing. Uh, but here, what can love look like? It takes a lot of different shapes. Um, so one of my friends is a barber, and he owns a barber shop, and he's always wanted to have his place be a place that was welcoming, hospitable. Anybody could come with any opinion. And I, I got a text yesterday saying love for him looked like he had to remove somebody from the barber shop because of their abusive speech about other people. Uh, I have another friend that owns a bar. And uh, their industry was amazing how it was very prolific on Facebook and Instagram and through different social media feeds that people were saying, if you vote for so-and-so, don't show up at our establishment. Like, we don't need your kind of energy. We don't need your kind of people here. And I loved watching as, as a leadership team, they wrestled through how do we have inclusive conversations that are marked by kindness and compassion, but differences are okay. And so they literally thought through, how do we craft social media commentary in a way that is inclusive to welcome people to the table, even if they're different, and be met with kindness in a space where that's so foreign. I have another friend who was struggling with how to continue working out at the gym she was at. She's created a community there, and it's been a lot of fun, but she came and asked, I don't know how to stay there because the dialogue's necessary. It's almost like there's like this tractor beam, right, or this like slip and slide that once you get on it, it goes straight this direction, and it always goes towards privilege, and it always goes towards looking down in the same comments. It's almost like a script. We get about 20 minutes into the class, and then the conversation hits the slip and slide, and it goes straight into conversations that I don't want to have, and I feel uncomfortable because I don't know how to talk back to all these people who have very different views than me. But my heart's been shifting, and how do I do that? And I watched as she was able to wrestle through and say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come up with one question, one question a week, and as it gets to the 15-minute mark, I'm going to ask my question before we get to the other question that hits the slip and slide and goes the other direction and watching a beautiful thing shift. And she's like, it's not perfect, but at least we're having different conversations. That's what love looks like, right? Asking good questions, allowing answers, confronting whether uh, physically and removing or even mentally allowing the space for others to enter in. I had another friend that realized during the season that all his uh, friends are monochromatic, that is, they all look exactly like him. And so in a simple step of obedience to the prompting of the Spirit, he began to give more time and attention to the relationships that were at the periphery of his life that were ethnically different. To say, if I'm going to love my neighbor, it has to be my multi-ethnic neighbor, not just my Caucasian neighbor. 
And as the Spirit pressed in on him, all he did is he said, my right response to what the Spirit's doing is to give more attention to those that I've never given attention to but are in the borders of my life. And that's just what I, I want us to do as a people is to continue to ask the question, what is the Spirit calling me or us as a family to do? And then how do we trust God? How do we hope unswervingly, right? How do we love generously? And let the Spirit of the living God answer that question for us. And that's why we come to the table each and every week is the reminder that we are going to do that imperfectly. We will not love each other perfectly. We will offer a lot of apologies. We will not love our neighbor perfectly. We will need to ask for a lot of apologies. But we have been loved perfectly, and that fuels our ability to continue to love God and love our neighbor well. And so as we end our gathering tonight, I want to invite you to come to the table and take a piece of the bread and a cup of the juice and just come to the table, return to your seat, and uh, I'll lead us through communion together as one family. And then Katie will speak the benediction over us and send us out. So, uh, Missio Mesa, because of Jesus, you're welcome to the table. Come and receive.